The Gallup polling agency tells us that belief in God is lower than it's ever been. That explains a lot. Also, I just returned from the Southern Baptist Convention in Anaheim. I have a few things to tell you about that on this week's Corey Truax Show. Nothing less interesting than the physical ailments and sicknesses of someone else. So all I will say to start the show is, if I sound weird, it's because I feel weird, and you're probably going to notice that my voice reflects how I feel. But don't be distracted by that. We have lots of important information to go through, even if you are not a Southern Baptist or a Baptist of any sort. There's a lot of information, concepts, debates that we can extract from that convention and to and extrapolate upon uh, that is applies to the entire Christian life, and so that's what we'll do a lot of today. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Amongst all of the other things I do, I get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church, as you as you know, meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville, and if you are churchless, you are invited. A couple conversations I had out in Anaheim with other pastors, I found that pastoring in a lot of places is hard to do, and so when I come home to just the the sweetest, service-minded, loving people of Beechwood. I I recognize how how fortunate I am to be a part of a church body that seems to like each other and supports each other and likes to spend time together. What a what a good blessing it is. I hope you have found that kind of church as well. There was much reported out of the Southern Baptist Convention. You might have heard there's a liberal drift in wokeism is infecting every cell of the Southern Baptist body. You might have found there was a great deal of controversy and rancor. I'm sure you've heard some of that if you traffic in Christian media, and I want to uh, walk through some of that as someone who was on the ground. So let's go through a couple things. I suspect this will be half the show, maybe a smidgen more. One, I see in social media and in some Christian media broadly that Part of what happened with Southern Baptist Convention and this group of churches is they're going woke. They're drifting to the left. And I know I have, I counted amongst my listenership. I started thinking of names. I think it's 22, 22 men who pastor. Not all of them are Southern Baptists. And so, gentlemen, like I want you to hear this from me. Some of you will disagree with things I say on this. I don't think it's real. I think leftward shifts, liberal drifts, and I hate that we use those words in in politics, excuse me, in theology, because they're so tainted by what we mean in politics. It just, it just generally means conservative folks, theologically, stay by the fundamentals, and liberal folks tend to drift away from the fundamentals, which are Bible truths, and allow infection and uh, to be affected by other things in the culture. So when you hear those words in a theological sense, know that's what I mean. There is a liberal drift that's natural in most institutions because worldliness is going to tend towards leftism, and that's what ends up affecting us. The world around us is what's going to change our, our values or our emphases. And we have seen leftward drift in all of the major mainline denominations over the years. We know what it looks like for certain parts of Presbyterianism, Methodism, Anglicanism, Lutheranism to drift into worldliness or into liberalism. So 
I understand there is a, a sensitivity to making sure something you love, like this convention of churches, does not do the same. And I'm just here to stake out the position that I know some of you will disagree with. You're skeptical. It's not there. We don't have a liberal drift. Do we have some liberal members? Sure. I, th- I think we do. I think it's really small. Your leadership is not, the leadership of this church, this series of churches, is not drifting. It's solid. I think what some group of people want to view as an argument inside Christianity between liberals and conservatives, liberals trying to, to pull the convention towards some more woke language around uh, racial reconciliation or the, the work of eth- ethnic strife being abated or ebbed, the work around things like abortion, uh, the, the, all, all of those topics and more, that there are folks that are straight up going, go, going away from the Bible as the fundamental source of all truth. And they're being argued against by conservatives. I don't see that was what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. What I see is that there are a bunch of conservatives who are arguing with fundamentalists. And the fundamentalists are the minority. It's 40%, 45% of the folks who showed up, probably of our churches as well. And the fundamentalists are right now quite aggressive. They tend to see liberalism in every corner, in every shadow. There is a heresy that could be close to us. And so the fundamentalists see people like me and they say, "Yo, you're you're drifting left." Now, I'm I'm about as conservative as it possibly gets. I might not have your demeanor. That's what fundamentalists that's one of the big distinctions. Is fundamentalists are angry often. They want to say things the most controversial way, the most combative way. And they they look at people like me who don't want to be combative and say, oh, well, that's because you're weak. You're, you're squish, man, and because, you, because you won't say things as aggressively as me. And by the way, I'm at the convention, I was a voter for the guy that the fundamentalists liked, but very satisfied with the other option when it came to leadership because he also stands by all the fundamentals of the faith. He's just nice. It's, it's, I actually thought the guy I voted for was mostly, most of the time, quite kind as well. Anyway, we don't have a liberal drift. It's not conservative versus liberal. It's fundamentalist versus conservative. And here's what I noticed. I look at my fundamentalist brothers, and I'll give you the distinctions in a minute. I'll give you the definitions of what it is to be fundamentalist versus conservative inside of Christianity right now, specifically amongst Baptists. I look at them and say, man, I need you guys. If we're going to continue to do ministry really well and effective together to train up the next generation of leaders through our seminaries, to continue to provide curriculums for our Sunday schools and discipleship groups and our kids' ministries, if we're going to continue to work together to plant churches, to send missionaries worldwide, man, we're going to need each other. We're going to need to lean on each other. I hope you'll stay, even though we see these things differently. And the fundamentalists seem to say this. I won't work with you. you. We either get this convention largely in agreement with my stance and my demeanor on everything, or you're all woke liberals and I'm out. And I, I just want to call to those folks, I think they're brothers, and say, hey guys, 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 we don't have to. We, our churches are so autonomous, you can go keep preaching the way you want to preach, but you can't lay that burden on the rest of us. So now let me give you the examples. Some of the fault lines I found while I was there. We'll start with 
abortion. Which surprises the mess out of me, because we are a very pro-life convention. The idea that we would fight over where the Christian stance is on abortion is almost surprising. But here's what it feels like my fundamentalist brothers are saying to me. Corey, and all of you, say right now that women who get abortion should be executed. Say it now, or you're a squish, and you're a liberal, and you're... You're woke. If you won't say what I want you to say right now, and you better have some anger in your voice and some tremble in your voice when you say it. I'm go- Now I'm going too far. But if we are not talking about the, the firing squad for women who get abortions, then you're a woke liberal. And to which I say, I bet you're really fun at parties. But in a serious sense, just, hey, 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 hey. I'm not saying, but according to the law of God, that you're wrong. I'm not, say- I'm not saying that women who have abortions are not... In large part, maybe not. If, if maybe it's in every in every case, they're responsible for the death of a human. I understand what you're saying. Treat them like a murderer, the same way you would treat John Wayne Gacy. Treat people who take part in murders like murders. Okay, all right, I got gotcha. you. Now, where we sit right now, and where you want to go, are so far apart that your attitude and demeanor is going to, I think it really will, in in this new world that I'm about to lay out here, you're going to cost us lives lost in the womb if you act like this. We're about to have a, a situation where states get to decide on their abortion policy. And there will be lots of states, I think like South Carolina, that basically end abortion. There will be lots of states that become abortion tourist locations. And then there are middle-of-the-road states with you know, high Catholic and Lutheran populations. I'm thinking of West, uh, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. There's going to be some more libertarian-minded, but some conservative-minded folks in places like Nevada. Well, not Nevada. That's Las Vegas. I was thinking of Arizona and... Uh, I'm trying to think of the other one out west I can't think of. And when we're trying to incrementally save lives, if, if you're telling me you all have to take the stance that we get the death penalty for abortion right now or nothing else will do... What I'm telling you is you're going to turn a lot of people off and turn people that are otherwise inclined to be with you, you're going to turn them off. Right now, we're seeing a massive change in how Hispanics vote and who they support. And some of it is based on that life thing because they're so Catholic. Largely, when they see someone saying, uh, yeah, I don't want to just put a doctor in jail. I want the woman executed. A lot of them will start looking at you and go, oh, okay, so you're... You're crazy, and I don't, whatever you want, I want the opposite. So, Gentlemen who take the abolitionist view, again, I'm not telling you you're wrong by the law of God. I am telling you, I think you're, because you so insist on all of us saying the exact thing you want to say in the exact tone you want us to say it, I think you're, not, I think you're hurting your cause. And I think some of you would just say back, well, does it matter? We just say the true things. Whatever the consequences, no matter what happens, just say whatever's true. Okay, 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 listen. As, especially with me, me right now, as I have become romantically entangled, I have found that there are, there are bad times to say true things. Sometimes you, you, don't, you don't say every true thing every single time. I've gotten annoyed with people who have critiqued some of my sermons that would say, hey, that one was too law-filled and not enough grace, and, or that one was had too much grace and not enough law. And I got to say back, you've not heard the hundreds of sermons that I've done. I get to preach to people who have 
a context of who I am and everything I've ever said. You can't say every true thing every time. And you're, I, I don't know why the demand is, I've, I've got to say every true thing every time, no matter the consequence, or I'm a liberal squish. I've, maybe you can tell, I'm, a, I, I'm annoyed at it. I, I, I just know who I am. I am no liberal. I am a London Baptist Confession 1689 rock-ribbed, steel-spine, theological conservative. I'm with the Reformers. And for some other Christian to look at me and go, you're a squish, you're a liberal, you're woke, because you won't say, Ex- execute the women right now. Goodness. You don't get to put that on me. Now here, But I'm also saying this. Hey, if you can find some room for us to work together because we agree on 99% of things, will you please work with me? Can we still be brothers? And you be a little, little, little more sanguine about stuff, please? And I'm getting back, and the answer is no. No, I won't work with you. You have to say what I want you to say about this. That's a small group. I think a lot of fun, there's a great deal of the fundamentalism, admittedly. I've got a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a straw man, but a caricature. I, I have a bit of a caricature I'm giving you there. And all I want to say back is there's space for you. Will you make space for me? And do, do you know that I, I, I actually agree largely with what with your general point that the law of God would say a just society puts to death people who put to death the innocent. And I, I, I want, I, I, don't, I don't want to argue with you about that point. I'm just telling you those that are unwilling to say it right now, they have some, they're, they're not liberals, guys. They're on your side. We can work together. You can think they're wrong, just like you think they're wrong about other things. We can find a way to work together. I ran out of time in the first segment. There are more, there are more issues like this. So when we come back, let me give you these issues that are dividing conservatives from fundamentalists inside the Southern Baptist Convention, and I think probably the, probably the Christian faith more broadly. We'll do that and a lot more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Along with all the arguments and rancor, Rick Warren, the Purpose Driven Life Guy, took to the microphone while we were there. I want to play for you that audio here in a bit. But first, I want to get back to these issues where fundamentalists and conservatives are dividing, not conservatives and liberals, and see if we can talk through those and find a way to work together. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Connect to me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also find me at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. I should say thank you to Mark, who sent me good recommendations for stuff to do out in Anaheim. I took almost all of those recommendations, except for going to a baseball game, because I had limited numbers of hours, and that's a lot of hours to spend on one activity. And also to the host of the All 7 Days podcast, Mr. Stan Fields, who sent over uh, some stuff I'm hoping to do at the end of the show, so I won't give you a preview of that. But you can be just like Mark and Stan and send over information and stuff you want covered on the show at Show at gmail.com. So we had the disagreement on abortion and the demand for a fundamentalist to people like me to say what they want to say the way they want me to say it. And the fact that I won't, I get accused and people like me are accused of liberal squishyism. Here are some other topics where that is taking place. One is still critical race theory. Some quick history. In 2018, 
the Southern Baptist Convention largely affirmed a a resolution that said <clears throat> that said critical race theory is an analytical tool that can be useful. In the language of that resolution, it also said the Bible is all we need. It is superior to everything, and it's all you need for all of truth and life and godliness. And underneath that, we also run into some analytical tools along the way that might be useful to understand the world around us. Now, subsequently, what critical race theory meant in 2018 was much more obscure. A lot of stuff has been placed on top of it that I would now define it in large part as racial essentialism. That the most important part of every single person in the country is their ethnicity. It's not your sex. It's not your religion. It's not your family. It's not your income. The maybe only thing important about you is are you white or black? And and, and are you a minority or a majority? That's it. And nothing, nothing else matters. That's where we've gotten with CRT. And so, of course, that's utterly unbiblical, not a useful tool. And now the 2021 and 22 version of CRT is quite controversial, and folks want to say so out loud. In, in particular, the fundamentalists want to say out loud, CRT, critical race theory. It's demonic. It's wrong. It's not useful. We condemn it. And then there's a lot of us that know, uh, excuse me, that are satisfied with other statements from the convention, resolutions that say, we condemn all ungodly and unbiblical philosophies where people in our churches are trying to derive truth. And we call people to follow the Bible alone. And so people like me who say, I'm satisfied with that because we're saying all worldly and unbiblical philosophies should be rejected by our churches. You know what's a worldly and unbiblical philosophy? Critical race theory. And so we're calling all of our churches to do that. But the the fundamentalists are saying, no, you said critical race theory was useful in 18. You need to say it's wrong now. You must say it or you're a liberal squish. And again, I just look back at those people and go, why do you get to make the rules? Who gave you this authority to tell me that I'm drifting because I won't say exactly what you want when you want me to say it? So it, it comes along with the critical race theory, and I would put in some kind of wokery, wokeness warning in there where folks who concern themselves with issues of biblical mercy or justice, those are two different, two very different things, so uh, an emphasis on ethnic reconciliation, an emphasis on uh, doing, doing work that the world might also emphasize. So the world is emphasizing race right now. So there are those that would say, if you're doing this, if you're pushing the racial thing, you're just being led around uh, by the nose by the world. And so they, they want those churches, uh, they, would, they would say, just preach the gospel, just preach the Bible. And these initiatives that you're trying to launch regarding race and stuff, that, that shows you're woke. And then there are those of us that would say, not necessarily, it might, listen to me, it might. It might mean I got a, you got pastors and leadership out there so infected by their Twitter feed and their, and their, their, their general social media presence that they're not being led by the Bible's call to racial reconciliation or ethnic unity. They're, they're being primarily called by the culture. And in which case, that's, that's a problem. But I'm not willing to say that of everybody. And it seems like there's a group of the, of the fundamentalists who are ready to condemn people like me, who won't just call them all woke for talking about racism and injustice where it has happened, where it, where it is in some places still happening in regards to ethnicity. I would put up 
maybe one more topic in a really annoying fashion. A bunch of the fundamentalists kept getting up to needle the current convention president, Ed Litton, about plagiarism that he's accused of, well, that he definitely did. Uh, the guy who's he's about to not be president, or maybe he's already not president anymore, lifted some sermons from other people and preached them as his own. And that's wrong. And there was a lot of people wanting to make that point. But that fundamentalist crowd, it seems like what they want from people like me is to, you know, you, you got to condemn, and he's got to be removed, and there's got to be consequences. And there's folks like me that are satisfied with what happened. I mean, there was an apology, there was an acknowledgement of what happened, and I think, man, I even think the way it went down, there's some fear struck into other pastors and preachers to be honest with these things, to quote their sources, not to... I mean, to do this, do the work, study, get yourself ready, ready to preach. And I, and people like me don't need there to be a bloodletting. Judgment must not, doesn't have to come. I think I'm I'm caricaturing a little bit more than I should. I'm going to end up regretting that because I love I love a lot of my fundamentalist brothers, but admittedly I'm I'm just charged up right now about how a lot of this went down and some of the things I saw on Twitter. And then even finally, let's go with one more. One more topic. This one's a little testier. There was one guy who went to the microphone during debate around some reforms we made on handling of sexual abuse and sexual assault. And his argument was basically, guys, this isn't that big of a deal. Like, it doesn't have... It isn't happening that much more in Southern Baptist circles than it is any other circle. Now, for the record, that guy is accurate. It's not like the Southern Baptist Convention is uniquely evil when it comes to abuse and, uh, and, and and harassment. Like it's, we're just one of many institutions that have had to run through this in the last couple of years. It's and so while I affirm that's true, I also heard this guy straight up minimizing the severity of the problem. I can say with him, the problem is equal between the Southern Baptist Convention and public schools or the Catholic Church or in Hollywood, but it's equally severe. And so this guy was straight up saying, let's not do these reforms because, you know, it's it's a problem everywhere and we don't have to overreact. We're, we're following the world in, in doing these things. And people like me would say to that fundamentalist brother, I do think he's a brother. I think he's profoundly wrong, but a brother, uh, we we should be he- being, being whole, excuse me, we should be holding ourselves to the highest of standards. We represent the king of kings. We need to have really buttoned up systems and harsh consequences for those that would use their power and their influence for their own sexual gratification. And I think they would say back to me, you know, you're just being influenced by me too. The world is influencing you. And so I think those are the fault lines. It's abortion, it's critical race theory and wokeism, how we handle plagiarism and sexual assault. And the fundamentalists are just saying to folks like me, you need to take these things more seriously. And more seriously is defined as you saying what I want you to say in the tone I want you to say it. And I say back to them, no, no, I'm not going to do that. You're, you're not the standard of right and wrong. The Bible is. And I don't, I don't think you have the argument to say to me, to demand of me to say everything you want me to say in the tone you want me to say it. Hey, so now can we work together 
and have awesome seminaries, incredible missionaries, great church planting, and good curriculums for our, our kids and small groups. Can we do that? I'm ready to do that if you guys are. Now, another another moment at the convention that annoyed, the, this one that just annoyed the heck out of me, is the author of The Purpose Driven Life, the pastor at, uh, what's that church called? I forgot what it's even called out there in uh, Southern California, where Rick Warren has pastored forever. He comes up on the screens, and you know there's over 10,000 people in a room, and everyone knows who he is. He's one of the most recognizable, recognizable figures in all of Christian, in the Christian world. And I immediately groan for this reason. His church, which is yeah, Saddleback, remembered Saddleback, his church is currently likely to be removed from the convention for ordaining women. And so I don't want to hear from him. I think he's done something that makes his church distinctly not Baptist. I Listen, I don't think churches that have women pastors are necessarily full of unredeemed people. I am saying they are being expressly unfaithful to the biblical model of the church and unfaithful to sexual roles and gender roles that the Lord designed. I think they're being unfaithful. And if you're in a church, in a denomination that does do that, I think you need to get out. I am so slow to say that. Even when I invite people to Beachwood Church on this show, I say, if you're not already in a church, because I, I have such a high view of the church, if you're in one and it's not doing great, I want you to stay and fight and fix it, because churches are awesome. But if you're in a denomination that's just straight up ordaining women, or we got a church that's doing the same thing, we got to take some action. And th- that action is to separate, because they're not being faithful. So in that vein, I'm, I want to play for you some of, Rick, of what Rick Warren said. I don't like that he was given time. It was sprung on all of us. It was a surprise. It w- I'll give you a quick story. In 2018, the Southern Baptist Convention met in Dallas, and when we all arrived, we found on the schedule that Vice President Mike Pence had been given featured time on the stage. And a very brave messenger, uh, like, it's, like, it's like a delegate, he goes to the microphone and objects and says, I want this taken off the schedule. And there was a lot of us that voted yes. I, I didn't want to hear from him either. I wasn't there for the American kingdom. But we weren't even given warning that Rick Warren was going to be given almost 10 minutes of, of time. But he did. And he said some things that I think need response. So I went to YouTube. I found his time on the stage, excuse me, at the microphone, and I want to share it with you. For the first half of this, he was saying, I love Southern Baptists. You know, without you guys, I couldn't have served one church my whole life. Without you guys, I couldn't have had all this success. I'm a you know, fourth generation Southern Baptist. And then he does a lot of bragging about how awesome he is and his ministry is. And I just want to play for you some of this to respond. So this is Rick Warren from the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting in Anaheim. Because Southern Baptists taught me the value of a membership covenant. 78,157 members of our church signed our membership covenant after taking a four-hour membership class. Because Southern Baptists taught me to emphasize the priority of Bible study. We now have 9,173 home Bible studies in homes in 162 Southern California cities. Because Southern Baptists taught me the value of church planting, as I already mentioned, we planted 90 in Orange County alone 
and literally thousands around the world. He's thanking Southern Baptist while really just giving a litany of all of his, quote, successes, end quote. Because Southern Baptist taught me to honor and love the local church, I've had the privilege for 43 years of training 1.1 million pastors. I'm sorry, what? That, uh, that's, not, that's not real. Whatever your definition of training is, that's, you got, your, your definition's a little loose. It's like me saying, I've trained 2,000 people in conservatism and reformed theology. And what do I mean? Well, I got a podcast, and for an hour a week, sometimes they all listen to me, and I say things, and they learn. Do you mean you've spoken at a lot of conferences, a lot of people watch YouTube, and so you're saying you've trained 1.1 million pastors? No. No, you haven't. Oh, here's the applause line. That, sorry, friends, that's more than all the seminaries put together. This is literally Rick Warren saying, I have had a bigger impact on training pastors than all six of your seminaries. This is braggadocia that, sh- that would make Donald Trump blush. Here he is. I owe you all so much. So I sincerely say thank you, Southern Baptist for shaping my life. Yeah, I, the tone thing is not going to win me over that you're faking being emotional about how awesome the convention is. And cl- You're never going to find another Baptist who agrees with you completely on everything. There are Baptist brothers here today who don't believe Jesus died for the whole world. But we imagine somehow get along with them. I don't know why he had to do that. Like one of the dividing lines, even inside the convention, is something called soteriology how we how we view the salvific work, how someone is redeemed. And right there, he's talking about people like me. I I wouldn't say Jesus died for the whole world, and the reason I would I would say that is not everyone not everyone is d- destined for eternity with with our God. So if Jesus died for the whole world, that sentence denot- denotatively means everyone will be saved. And so I no, I, I wouldn't affirm that sentence. In, in, but he is saying there, I'll take this. I don't. I should not uh, get sidetracked by him. Yeah, you're not going to agree. So on a lot of things, we can just disagree. Like how we handle the abortion thing, some critical, some parts of the critical race theory thing, or plagiarism, or whatever it is, there are some things where we can disagree, behave differently, have different emphases. That's all fine. But there are some lines to draw. And I think there's, there's, that's part of the issue he's got here is, well, he's about to get to it. I'll let Rick Warren continue. Here he goes. So as Western culture grows more dark, more evil, more secular... We have to decide, are we going to treat each other as allies or adversaries? So I agree with that. I agree that we need to be treating, treating each other as allies. Folks in the convention that I think are a little bit too combative, that don't have the same style as I do, I think we need each other. I want to be on the same team, but there are limits that where you get outside of orthodoxy and we can't partner together anymore. Dennis Prager says this often, you got to have clarity before you have unity. And so when I see clearly 
that we are not holding to the same bibliology and how we understand Scripture. We, you go do your thing, but we can't be in partnership. I, I am on board. It's actually a quite popular thing to say in Southern Baptist circles that we need to be getting past the things that divide us. It's a very popular sentiment. But there are lines, and he has crossed one. Second, since this is the year 2022, that means we are 2022 years from the birth of Christ. Now, we know Christ started his ministry at 30 years of age. Luke tells us that, had a three and a half year ministry. Christ died in AD 33. He was resurrected in AD 33. He gave the Great Commission in AD 33. He sent the Holy Spirit and started the church in AD 33. That means 2033, just 11 years from today, is the 2000th anniversary of the Great Commission. I hope one of you, because I won't be here next year. Boy, he kept saying stuff like that. He opened with that joke I told you about. uh, I think I told you. He opened by saying, a man on the gallows gets to give his last word. So he's saying, of course, I'm being hung. He kept calling it his last convention. I don't think just because he's retiring, but because he knows his church is being kicked out. But here's his final point. We'll make a resolution that Baptists take the next 10 years to finish the task of the Great Commission in our generation before the 2000th anniversary of the church. Are we going to keep bickering over secondary issues? Are we going to keep the main thing the main thing? We need to finish the task, and that will make God smile. Thank you, everybody. I love you. And that's where the rub is. What I'm telling you, Pastor Warren, is whether or not the Bible endorses the ordination of women as elders, it's not secondary. It's certainly not secondary for what it means to be Baptist. We have documents. The Baptist Faith and Message, 2000. We have the London, London Baptist Confession of 1689. Both affirm that the office of elder is reserved to qualified men. Not to men, because there's lots of unqualified men, but to qualified men. We're not sorry. And so it's, it, it maybe can be a secondary issue in that I can work with other denominations that have a different standard in some ways, but when it comes to partnering together in ministry, there isn't a secondary issue on this. Which leads me to this. That needs to be a discussion on, well, what do women do in ministry? And uh, there's some distinctions there I want to get to. So i got to take this break. I'm way over. When we come back, we'll get into that and a lot more when you return for the rest of the Corey Act Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Warren and Saddleback opened the can of worms on women in ministry or women eldership, and that can of worms leads us to a conversation that will make some of you quite uncomfortable. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show, wherever you listen to podcasts, and right here on his radio talk, here's a problem I think I found. There were some, some of the discernment types and the fundamentalists were on Twitter and on their blog saying, did you see that with Rick Warren? All those Southern Baptists applauding him and giving him all this kind of love when he's ordaining women as elders in his church. These Baptists must be going woke for all the reasons I've already said today and because people are misinterpreting what happened in the room. I mean, for this matter, Baptists are polite when people say things and there's a silence for like a applause line. A lot of people applaud just because they're kind, but in, in any event. 
here, here's a problem we don't have in the, in the Baptist world. There is no appreciable number of Southern Baptist leadership or laity, just the people who go to church, who think women and men should have the same role in churches. There are some. It is a vanishingly insignificant number of people who think women and men had the same role, including elder, the true leadership of the church. We don't have... Now, uh, let me say it this way. Now, we have a larger group that is confused about function. So we have eldership who's supposed to guide and do the ministry of the word and a prayer. That's the, the job of the eldership. And then there are some confused congregations that will have women on the platform to uh, what they call preach. And they say they're doing it under the uh, the authority of the elders, and so it's fine. But that, in my... Uh, I'm trying to be graceful. I believe what the Bible would say is that preaching in the gathering on a Sunday morning, that's a specific thing, when the church gathers for its regular worship, the, the act of preaching is authoritative and is reserved to the elder. That the act of preaching cannot be separated from the elders themselves. And the others can't do it. Not meaning that women can't teach in a lot of settings. Teach your kids. Teach other women. And in settings outside of the church gathering, women teach. And we need them to. We need godly, informed, theologically rich women, brilliant women, ready to teach the word in all the contexts where it's proper. So we have some chunk that are confused and have women preach, think they're doing that wrongly. And I also think, by the way, they shouldn't be in the convention. I think they should politely leave. And if they don't, we should take some action. And then there's the this large group. There are just a ton of churches who throw the word pastor around. I talked to a guy when I was in California. He had a church in Mississippi. And he said to me, our worship pastor is a woman. She's the, high, the music teacher at the local high school. She runs our choir. In all of our ensembles, she's qualified, and we she's, we call her, she's a worship pastor. She does it, by the way. She does not go to elder meetings or deacon meetings. She's not part of the decision-making body. They just slap the word pastor on her. So they're, what they have is a problem of, of terminology, and it's a mess. It's a mess out there that we use those terms. Here's the actual biblical model. In church, you have elders. You have deacons, and that's it. That's the end of the list. The other distinctions we've created, I'm not going to call them sin, but they are man-made creations. Lead pastors, executive pastors. Heck, the one I, the one I say at the beginning of the, the show, pastor for teaching. We just made that up. But here's what is not... Uh, here, here are terms that all mean the same thing. An elder is a pastor. They, they mean the same thing. They are the shepherds of the flock. We see this early in the book of Acts, where Peter, James, I think John is still in that group, but at least Peter and James, they're saying, hey, we, we have to dedicate ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. We're going to need some others. You, the church, pick some people among you to lead in the distribution of the, the actual tasks in the work. And we see modeled their deacons. We later get those written out in the epistles from Paul. And that's that's it. 
That's all the Bible gives us. And so because elder and pastor are the same word, it's important that people who are not, are not elders, are not part of the leadership body, that we don't call them pastors. If you have someone in your church, and this is why it's uncomfortable, some of you have someone called a youth pastor. And if that, if that usually gentleman or lady is not one of the elders, what I'm telling you is, yeah, you should change the title. Not, I'm not calling you deeply in sin. I'm just saying we have a tradition of calling all these people pastors, and technically they're ministers. They could be the director of youth ministry. And it gets confusing for people. So now what we had is a bunch of churches hearing us say, well, Rick Warren's ordaining women as pastors, and he needs to go and get kicked out. And so then a bunch of churches went, wait, hold up. My worship pastor's a woman. Wait, hold on. My children's ministry, my children's pastor, that's a woman. What are you guys talking about? What we're talking about is you're using the wrong terms. And so I just wanted to, to clarify, and if I have church leadership listening to me, can we just meekly and kindly instruct those around us to start making those transitions? I was recently on the Westminster Doxology podcast with Cody Fields, with Bradley Cox, Pastor Bradley Cox, Resurrecting Church. Apparently they went through that. I was so heartened to hear it. They went through a process of taking the title pastor off of a lot of positions and putting the title minister on there. Great. The root word for minister is the same word for administrate. So the the deacons who are doing the service, the administrating of the the service, yeah, let's, let's call them that. They're serving their people, ministering to their people, but it's not technically pastor and elder. Some of you don't care, and you think semantics don't matter. They do, and I know they matter because the Lord wrote it down. He, well, inspired Paul to write these things down, inspired Luke to write these things down, and therefore it matters. And so, uh, there's clarity on those, I guess, three things. There is not a group, a big group of Southern Baptists trying to ordain women. That's not real. Two, we got our terminology way wrong. Three, can we stop trying to kick people out for having their terminology wrong because they, they actually have the function correct? Let's just try to start instructing our brothers kindly, humbly, to adjust, uh, to align our language with the Scripture's language. We have elders, we got deacons, and let's quit calling people who are not elders pastors. Okay, that was my take from the Southern Baptist Convention. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. If you have feedback or questions, if there are questions, I'm glad to take those. I, I didn't give you a lot of details about what we did on sexual assault and sexual abuse. I'm very encouraged by what we did. If you want some details, I can provide those. Just any thoughts you have on that, I'd be glad to take it at those social media sites or at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. A couple other news stories I just wanted to get to that I think are important and good. One, well, good. I ah, should have said that. Gallup released its yearly study on what Americans think about God and whether or not they believe in God. We're at an all-time low. 81% of Americans say they believe in God. It is a drastic drop since 2011. So in 2011, so just in 10 years, we're down 11%. Uh, there's something, man, social media did something. It rewired brains, but it made a lot of people willing to just say the thing they are. And uh, that is showing up in part, people much more publicly aligned with secularism. It's also very specific 
where these demographics come from of who who doesn't believe in God and it really what I'm giving you this is the source of the rancor and the divide in our country what I'm about to give you this is where it all stems from ultimately it's all arguments about who's in charge where does truth come from and who is God is it us or him the here's from the Gallup story they write the groups with the largest declines are liberals young adults and Democrats Belief in God is highest among political conservatives and Republicans. The, by the way, the, the divide is 92% of self-identified conservatives, excuse me, 94% of self-identified conservatives say there is a God. 62% of self-identified liberals say there is a God. Here are the, the things that always interest me more are what were the most dramatic declines? Because there's decline almost everywhere in every group, every in, in both genders and across marital status and party identification and education level. But most of the declines, if you go find the study, are in the 3 4 5%. Almost all of them are in that level. It's very even. And then there are some outliers. Let me give you the outliers. The drop for Democrats. 84% of Democrats in 2017, sorry, 2013, in 2013, said they believed in God. That's now down to 72%, a 12% block, block, excuse me, just decline. Self-identified liberals in 2013, 73%, now 62%. This is your, this is where the drop happened. And I, I think that drop is people just admitting what was already true, but didn't want to say so because it was uncomfortable. And the, again, I mean, I I don't mind being this stark on defining what our national problem is. Our national problem is we have a great deal of folks that say, I am God, or the government is God. And then another group, group of folks that say, no, it's not. And you, you aren't God. You don't get to define reality for yourself. And you can't use the government as God. He's not. And that creates a lot of conflict. So let me just uh, commend this to you to go out and look at some of those numbers. It actually is quite intriguing, compelling from the Gallup study, um, now down to 81% of Americans say they believe in some kind of God. That, by the way, that doesn't mean anything about them being Christians or if they have any kind of real hold on what the God of the Bible teaches and uh, what his values are. Uh, two more. We had a great ruling from the Supreme Court. By the time you listen to this, for all I know, we're going to get the best ruling from the Supreme Court in the overturning of Roe. That, As of me talking, it hasn't happened yet. But... There was a, a case in Maine regarding a tuition assistance program where it's, it's basically school vouchers, where parents can choose to send their kids to a private school instead of their local public school and get some tuition assistance for that if they're in a certain uh, income bracket and how much they're paying in property taxes. It's kind of a complicated formula. And parents were wanting to use that to send their kids to Christian schools. And a group tried to keep them from doing that in the Supreme Court a very good thing for the First Amendment and religious liberty. You can't just exclude us. Just because we're Christians and you don't like us doesn't mean you can exclude us from programs the government creates. And you can't exclude other religions. We all get to participate together. The religious and the unreligious shouldn't have the law applied to them separately. The Supreme Court upheld that. That's good. That should also enliven and embolden the school choice movement. We need stuff like that in South Carolina. We need systems that empower parents to get 
kids the education they want and in environments that will inculcate the values that they prefer. So I'm not anti-public school. I'm for parents having the ability to be mobile and send their kids where they want. So uh, just encouraging news I wanted to give you out of Maine. I'd love to see something like that happen here. I think about all the young parents at Beachwood Church. I'd love for them to have the opportunity to look at their four-year-old, five-year-old, six, seven, eight-year-old, and say, we have, we're paying all these property taxes that mostly goes to education. I want some real say in where they go to school. And if I send them to a Christian school, it's not going to have to break the bank because I've done that. Final thing is from the host of the All 7 Days podcast, uh, Mr. Stan Fields. He sent me an email. I hope you don't mind me reading this on the air, sir. But he said he had his grandkids at the library, one here in South Carolina, and they just picked out a lot of books, and they're going home, and he starts to notice the books, and he's going to take a take a look before his grandkids are exposed to them. He sees lots of rainbows, and you know they both love rainbow, rainbows and unicorns. And then here's what... Mr. Fields writes, What caught my eye was the word pride. The title of the book is Pride 123. It was a cardboard primer book aimed at toddlers. And yes, it's pushing more than them learning to count. I know that folks on the secular left don't like it when we say, hey, it seems like there's some effort to groom children into LGBTQism. Well, here in Greenville, South Carolina, we have libraries with books on the shelves colorful and rainbows everywhere very much appealing to kids and giving them the LGBTQ propaganda there's a reason the groomer narrative has taken place and thank you Mr. Fields for sending that over let me also say to you parents be careful monitor everything your kids take in thank you for listening I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts next week until then everybody peace and love